Amen. Well, good morning. As they said, uh, I'm Daniel Sluice, and uh, yeah, I'm bringing the word today. Um, you Sunday, yeah, again, we have a table back there, and Austin, uh, no falling asleep, okay? I know you're really tired. Um, but yeah, we have t-shirts and hoodies for sale, and that is, just serves as a great prayer reminder for you guys to serve, uh, to pray for our ministry. It's also very fashionable. Um, Allie Van Cly has a hoodie, so you guys get, got to get, get on that. Um, and also, if you're wondering about our ministry, if you're wondering uh, anything at all, maybe you want to volunteer, hint, hint, we have openings this fall, so you can volunteer. We need some female leaders. Uh, or if you just want to know what a hashtag is and what the word yeet or sa means, um, this is a great Sunday to ask uh, any of our youth. Caden uh, is an expert on youth lingo, so you can ask him anything you want to. Well, this morning we're continuing our series, As Numerous as the Stars, and it's been taking us on this journey through Genesis and the story of Abraham and Sarah. We've discovered throughout the story so far that uh, Abraham really struggles in his faith because he keeps, like time and time again, he keeps trying to take things into his own hands and keeps failing, keeps failing. But God, time and time again, steps in, intervenes on Abraham's behalf and reminds them, and reminds him and Sarah as well as us, that he is always faithful to his promises. This morning's passage is going to show us Abraham performing the exact same sin he did back in Genesis 12 with Pharaoh. And as John and I were preparing the sermon, uh, the lyrics of a certain song came to mind. And it came over and over and over to us. The song hit the airwaves in March of 2000 quickly climbed to the Billboard Top 100, peaking at number 9, nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, quickly rising in popularity, Britney Spears' hit single, Oops, I Did It Again, was an instant hit among teens all over. I was a teen back then, but I wasn't one of those teens. <laughs> I wasn't a huge Britney fan, but I'll admit that I, here and there, listened to the song, and I admit it was catchy. Right? The song explains a female who is taking advantage of love and uses this to her advantage to kind of uh, abuse her lover's emotions. The chorus reads something like this. I'm not going to sing it. The chorus says, oops, I did it again. I played with your heart, got lost in the game. Oh, baby, baby. Oops, you think I'm in love, that I'm sent from above. I'm not that innocent. I know, it's a terrible song. Not great. But as we read her passage today, I think you'll see that the girl in the song and the actions of Abraham aren't that different. They're about equal maturity. If you have, if you have your Bibles today, I invite you to turn to Genesis 20, starting in chapter 1. And we're going to read this together. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man. 
because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the, in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all the servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there was no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given you your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that, they are, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Well, let's back up a little bit. I should have gotten a youth to read that passage, now that I think of it. Let's back up a little bit and give our story, our, our passage this morning, a little bit of context. Um, last week, we, we learned, you know, just before this, we learned that this is happening right after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And we're not sure, and, and what we've learned is Abraham's on the move, and we're not sure why he's on the move. It could be that he's just seen this destruction and just wants to get out of there. He wants to change the scenery. Or maybe it's uh, more practical. Maybe by moving around, he's not going to get attacked as easily. He can't stay in one camp. Right? So, but what we do know is he's on the move. What we do know is he, it's, the move isn't sanctioned by God. Abraham's moving on his own accord. And he finds himself in the land of Gerar. 
We don't know much about this town, but it was a Philistine town in south Israel and was ruled by a king named Abimelech. Now, if you have a title of king, you usually have some power, you have some wealth, you have some influence. So imagine what would happen when Abraham and his crew move into a town or a country uh, unannounced, right? All of a sudden, you know, Abraham's got some wealth of his own and his crew, his clan isn't exactly small. And Abimelech gets a little nervous and he's getting ready for a possible power shift. And so Abimelech does what is very common in that day. He makes a treaty. And he makes a treaty with Abraham. You see, more than likely, King Abimelech was feeling threatened. And his plan was, he wasn't just simply looking for a wife. This move was a strategic and political one. I mean, give the guy props. It's a great plan. Make a treaty with the guy who's, who's threatening you. This leads us to Abraham's repeat sin of chapter 12. And our first point this morning, it's a new day, same sin. Well, what motivates sin? Think about it for a second. Think of the last time you sinned. Ask yourself, what motivated your actions? And I want some answers here, some feedback. I liked getting a lot of feedback when I teach at youth. So what are some things that motivate sin? Anybody? Fear. What's that? Fear. Fear, yes. Anything else? Greed, yeah, greed. Anybody else? I'll take one more. Selfishness, Selfishness yeah. Yeah, fear is a big one. Uh, maybe lack of trust. Maybe you're just looking for excuses. Maybe justification. Let's look at what motivated Abraham's sin. And I think we'll see it's not far from what motivates our sin. The first thing that motivated Abraham's sin, Bill, was fear. Verse 11 says that Abraham is fearing for his life because of the lack of faith in Abimelech's camp. Okay, so Abimelech's made his move. He's taken Sarah with the permission of Abraham. And then, like God often did in those days, he spoke through a dream to Abimelech and wakes up and realizes his mistake. And Abimelech wakes up and he cries out, like, God, like, I did this innocently, like, I had no idea. They told me she was fair game. And so the very next morning he wakes up and he's calling for Abraham. And by this time Abraham is shaking in his boots like his, his sin has been revealed. And he's standing in front of Abimelech and he's being called out. Now only, not only does he openly admit he feared for his life, he goes back to the same lie. Ah, but she kind of is my sister. You got the same father, but different mothers. Like, are you serious, buddy? Like, you're falling in the same sin. Like, who's going to buy this? There's actually two lies in this altercation. Abraham says he was fearful because there is no fear of God in the Bimelech's kingdom. Now, maybe he didn't know that God appeared to Bimelech in a dream, but. If you don't fear God, you're probably not going to respond to a dream you had. Like, you're going to wake up and you're like, well, I had probably too much to drink. That was a weird dream and carry on with life. But Abimelech was like, no, like the very next morning, he needs to deal with this. And Abimelech is fearing God. And he wanted to deal with this quickly. And so Abraham is fearing for his life and he fudges the truth to try and weasel his way out of the situation. 
And I kind of relate to Abraham in this way because I've kind of done this. I have actually once called Vivian my sister. No joke. <laughs> Let me explain. Um, to start, we were dating. She wasn't my wife yet. Um, I don't know why we kept dating after that. <laughs> but we did. So we were out with some friends. And uh, we were just hanging out. She was driving, and we were in her car, and end of the night comes, and we're driving, uh, she's driving my cell phone and one of my friends. So we're driving down Lickman Road, and uh, she's got a headlight out, and of course she has her N, and so she is driving with too many passengers. She's only allowed one passenger. So sure enough, we're driving down Lickman Road, and our car is fl flooded with um, blue and red lights. <laughs> and we're thinking, oh no. What is going on? And because we weren't speeding. So the cop, we pulled over and the cop comes to the window. And, and while we're waiting for the cop to come, I'm like, okay, this is where my genius plan comes in. I'm going to say that we're brother and sister. Foolproof plan. And Viv, being holier than me, says, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to tell the truth and we'll deal with the consequences. And I said, no, we're not going to do that. And... Or maybe I led her on to believe that we were going to do that. So the cop comes to the window and starts asking, okay, why? you know why I pulled you over? And we go, no, we don't. And it turns out we had a burnt-out headlight. So we're thinking, okay, well, maybe we can get away with this. Maybe he's not going to mention the passengers. Nope. Sure enough, he's like, okay, who are these people? My friend is also smarter than me. He's like, I'm just a friend. And sticks to the truth. Whereas I blurted out, She's my sister. And the cop is playing along. He's like, okay, fair enough. Come out of the car. Come with me. I'm like, okay. And pulls me out of earshot of Vivian and says, what's your mother's maiden name? <laughs> and if I was thinking clearly, if I was thinking logically and I wasn't um, stressed or nervous, I probably should have answered this correctly because I... I think I did know it, but I was young, and I was stressed, and I was fearing for my life, so what did I do? I blurted out my mother's maiden name. <laughs> Didn't lie then. I started telling the truth. So the cops like, okay, yep, brings me back to the car, pulls out Vivienne, and at this point, I'm like, oh no, I'm busted. So sure enough, Vivienne... Uh, tells the cop her mother's maiden name, and it's probably not the same as my mother's maiden name, so we're, we're at a loss here. The cop comes back to the vehicle and points to me and says, I need to talk to you more. Oh, no. Busted. <laughs> and so he gives me this whole spiel saying, like, you can't lie to officers. You can't, I can arrest you. I don't know if that's true or not, but I wasn't going to question him now. And so he gives me this whole spiel, and I'm just feeling really guilty. And, and by this time, he's already written Viv a ticket. You know, he's, Viv's got a ticket for too many passengers and a broken headlight. Goes back to Vivienne, and let's back up a little bit. On the back of Vivienne's car is a Jesus fish, okay? <laughs> Keep that in your mind for a second. So the cop's talking to Vivian, and he's just saying, you know, I'm just really disappointed in you because I'm a pastor's kid. And I'm like, man, this just keeps getting worse. 
Like, this is ridiculous. And he just like, no, I, I, I can't see why you would just lie to me. Like, why would you do that? You claim to be Christian. You, you proclaim it on your car, and you're lying. And, and this is where Viv just throws me under the bus and says, yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I wanted to tell the truth, and I wanted to just support him, so I just went with it, and I'm just sorry for everything, and she's just apologetic. And right then and there, the cop like, starts ripping up the ticket, and she's like, no, don't do that. But we got out of a ticket. That was... That was the most awkward drive home I've ever been in. But here's the thing. I actually did get a ride home from her. So Don't clap for that. That's not worth clapping for. I just, as, soon as, I read the, as soon as I saw the passage that we're preaching on, I'm like, oh, no, I have to tell the story. See, just like Abraham, line only dug me deeper into my current situation. I was motivated by fear, not logic. I think I had more to fear with Vivian than with the cop. That's what I should have been fearing. Well, what else motivates sin? Verses 12 to 13 says, uh, show us, so, shows us that a lack of trust also motivated Abraham's sin. Verses 12 to 13. Abraham assumed that Abimelech was a wicked man and quickly decided to tell a half-truth rather than just trust God. You see, Abraham didn't just lie. He didn't just act selfishly and just fail to honor and protect his wife. Ultimately, he failed to trust in the sovereignty of God. And because of that, he actually jeopardizes the covenant promise that God offers. You see, Genesis 12 and 20 are two stories that are similar in appearance and circumstances, but whatever commentary author writes is that Genesis 20 is far more critical than Genesis 12. God had clearly revealed to Abraham and Sarah that together they will bear a son in their old age and that this would be a part of the covenant promise. Look in Genesis 17, 15, or starting in 15 to 19, it goes, As for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Your, her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. You see, it was going to be through the birth of a son that the covenant promise would be brought into the world. Like, Abraham blew it. Look to the genealogy of Matthew 1 for a second. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and on and on and on, until we get to the end, where it says, Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Abraham messed up. What's the one thing that could have jeopardized God's covenant? The seed of another man. And here we see Abraham blew it twice. It's easy to point fingers towards Abraham and look at others and their sin and cast judgment. But we need to look at our own heart. We need to look at the, the speck in our own eye. We need to look in the mirror long enough and see our own sinfulness because we are all subject to sin. 
A.W. Tozer said it best when he said, the truth is men are not basically good, they are basically evil. And the essence of their sins lies in their selfishness. You see, a lot of us are like Abraham. We're all sinners who have been called out or are being called out of a past. We've been called to walk in submission and obedience to God and his word. And instead of obeying and submitting, we go our own way. We say, no thanks, thanks but no thanks, I got this, God. Our tendencies as fallen humans is to always return to sin. Proverbs 26, 11 so bluntly puts it, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. And this is what Abraham does, and that's what I do, and that's what you do. We're fallen human beings. And Romans 3.23 just reminds us of this. It gives us the sobering truth that regardless of how good we may look or how nice we are or how many good things we've done, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We all deserve death. Well, what is sin? Let's define that in a second. Very simply put, sin is the breaking of a relationship with God. It's a missing of the mark. It's not just adultery, it's rebellion. No, it's, it's not just betrayal, it's also treason. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all lied. We've all fudged the truth. We've all swindled our way out of a situation. We've all fallen short. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. So often in Scripture we see a tragic story headed for doom, turned around by God's grace. And this leads us to our second point this morning, a godly intervention. See, God steps into the story now and he's out to teach Abraham a lesson. And what I find ironic is that once again Abraham is brought to his knees is his humbled by another pagan king and just like Pharaoh in chapter 12 he is once again put in his place you see when God has to step in to deal with sin it's not always going to be pretty he doesn't care about the process as much as he cares about the final result and we're going to learn something in the process as well but ultimately, he wants the final result. And if we're too stubborn to pull ourselves together and smarten up, then God is going to step in, and it's not always going to be pretty. Our story, our whole series has been building and building, and we're reaching a climax. And we're gearing up for an epic ending in the coming weeks and the fulfillment of the covenant of promise, promise this morning. Like the last eight chapters, the last two months of our series. And we're finally going to see how God fulfills all of his promises, regardless of man's sinfulness. Well, we define sin, so now let's define a covenant. What is a covenant? Covenant is a solemn commitment between two parties, guaranteeing promises or obligations, undertaken by both parties and sealed with an oath. See, the covenant that God made with Abraham was not based on Abraham's perfection or good works, 
but rather it was based on God's provision. At the start of Abraham's story, God told Abraham to leave his country, and Abraham obeyed and he went. God promised Abraham that through his wife, that though his wife was barren, he would become a father of many nations. God promised Abraham that he would be blessed by God and that the whole world would be blessed through one of his offspring. And Abraham did nothing to deserve this. He's just a guy that God chose. He's like, I'm going to carry my plan. I'm going to carry out my plan through you. And if you haven't heard it yet, our passage this morning doesn't... You know, Abraham is not the hero of the story. God is. The story isn't about Abraham. It's about God and his covenant promise. Abraham's sinfulness in Genesis 20 and, and Genesis... Well, Genesis 20 puts the covenant promise at risk. You see, if King Abimelech stopped to Sarah, the promise of the son, the promise of the whole world being blessed by Abraham's offspring... Is that stake? So here's one of the best parts of our story. When the covenant was being jeopardized, God could not simply just sit by and, and watch. Because this wasn't Sarah's plan at stake. This wasn't Abraham's plan at stake. This was God's. And he had to step in. He had to intervene. And he intervenes on Abraham's behalf. And in verse 3 says, But God appeared to a king of Bimelech in a dream by night and essentially says, Dude, like, not cool. You are messing up here. Like, this, she's a married woman. And Abimelech claims innocence, but God's like, You know, I got a, a bigger plan here. Yeah, Abraham's a mess. I'll deal with him later. But this is my plan. This is my covenant promise. And with Sarah... I'm actually going to cover, uh, carry out my plan for all humanity. You've got to return her. Ephesians 2, 1 to 9 says, When you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among these, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind. And so we were made by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. See, God intervened for Abraham because he was faithful to God's promise. And it showed love to God's people. We could easily substitute the second point, a godly intervention, to just say, but God. It's a great phrase, and it's found all throughout Scripture. I'm not going to dive too much into it, but there's all kinds of foreshadowing going on here. One thing I want to point out, though, is that the grace of Abimelech actually foreshadows God's grace to Abraham. God's grace to Abraham and Sarah God uses Abimelech to shame Abraham and correct his attitude and behavior, but instead of being punished and chastised further, what we see is an incredible blessing from Abimelech. And I don't know about you, but if I have uh, blatantly sinned, I'm expecting punishment. I'm expecting to be chastised. 
I'm not expecting to be given land, to be given wealth, to be given riches, animals, servants. Like No one in their right mind would feel like they deserve that. But Abimelech gives it all. I mean, he, he, he gave a thousand pieces of silver. This is 25 pounds of silver. This is a lot of money. More money than most people can make in that day. Abraham's sin has found him out again. He's exposed and put in his place. But instead of being punished, he and Sarah are blessed immensely. Abraham deserved nothing. Sarah deserved nothing. Our passage continues. Tell us that Abraham then prayed to God and he healed the king and he healed his wife and female slaves so that they could bear children. Now, the first couple times I read this, I I was kind of angry and, and confused. I'm like, okay, why is why is Abimelech getting punished when he's like fully innocent? I mean, yeah, he's with another, he's with a married woman, but why is he getting punished because of this? And here's what I make it, but God wasn't trying to harm Abimelech. He was trying to change the situation in which Abimelech was in the middle of. Abimelech was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, so to speak. Think of it this way. A person who eats a poisonous toadstool thinking it's a harmless mushroom no doubt has good intentions but will still suffer. Here's another thing these two verses imply. Sarah was with the king long enough for the absence of pregnancies to go noticed. This wasn't just a couple of nights. This was four, five, six months. We don't know. But it was long enough for his, his camp, his, his females, to say, you know, this is, something's wrong here. Something's not up. And so God's plan is back on track. And as chapter 20 ends and 21 begins, we witness the faithfulness of God on full measure. This is our final point this morning. Abraham could have ruined it all. And what's amazing in this passage is that God remains faithful to his promise. Regardless of who we are, regardless of what Abraham and Sarah have done, they're just going to screw up. They've kept screwing up. I love that God commanded Abraham to call his son Isaac, uh, Isaac. Because Isaac, as we learned a few weeks ago, means he laughs. It's God's great sense of humor because both Abraham and Sarah laughed at God's promise. The birth of Isaac is a significant moment in Scripture because God is continuing the covenant promise that he promised to all humanity, to the next generation. This is everything that they were promised. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And on and on until Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Our story reaches a climax, and it's ever so beautiful as we see God's faithfulness poured out over this couple. They didn't deserve it. 
but we're given God's full measure of grace. See, nothing could stop God from seeing his covenant promise fulfilled because God had a plan of salvation that no one could step in front of through this man named Jesus. And in Jesus, we would have a new covenant. And when he came, died, and rose again, we were given a new gospel promise. What is the gospel promise? It promises us forgiveness for all who believe in Jesus. Promises us deliverance from our sins. He came to not only forgive us of our sins, but also to deliver us. Gospel promises us new life. Where the wages of sin promises us death, we are found alive in Christ. Upon God's faithfulness rests our whole hope of future blessedness. Only as he is faithful will his covenant stand and his promises be honored. Another quote from A.W. Tozer says this, Only as we have complete assurance that he is faithful, may we live in peace and look forward with assurance to the life to come. Abraham and Sarah laughed in the face of God, fully doubting his authority and power. It begs the question, what are you doubting God on in your life? Is there something that you're not letting go of? Is there something that you're just hanging on to? You see, guys, we're not much different than Abraham and Sarah. We have our plans, and God shows us his, and we laugh. I hear stories time and time again of people who, yeah, I want to be this and I want to be that. And, and God steps in and is like, you know what, actually, I have a plan for you. Oh, how easily we forget the covenant promise he's given to us. It's easy to follow him in the good times. And we can seemingly give everything to him then. But as soon as times get tough, as soon as we get stretched, it's like, ah, no, I'm going to hang on to this a little bit longer, Lord. Your plan's good, but I think my plan, this part of my plan is really good too. I think we can work together. Story goes of a pilot who was learning to fly. His instructor tells him to put the plane into a steep and extended dive. And the pilot wasn't prepared for what was about to happen next. See, after a brief time, his plane stalls out completely. And looking over, the, uh, looking over frantically at the instructor, quickly realizes that the instructor's not going to help. And so after a few long seconds of what seems like an eternity, the pilot starts thinking logically again and thinking normally again and, and writes the plane and straightens it out. And it's leveled out and looks over at the instructor and is like, like, why? Like, it starts venting his frustrations to the instructor. The instructor calmly listens and then responds, there's no situation, there's no position you can get this plane that I can't get out of. And if you want to learn to fly, go back up there and do it again. See, there's no situation that we can get into that God can't pull us out. Even with Abraham's blunder, God's proved faithful and pulled him out of it. Was it pretty? Not really. But Abraham learned a valuable lesson. 
This, is, this morning is Youth Sunday. We had our Youth Sunday in Chilliwack last week. And it's a chance for us once a year to just kind of highlight, to celebrate what God has done in our youth group through our students, through our leaders. It's a chance to put them on display. And I love Youth Sundays. I love seeing youth serving. I actually had, like, I had more youth show up this morning than I was expecting to serve, and I had to find jobs for them. It's a great problem to have. See, these students are your future, folks. This is our next generation. And they need love, they need mentoring. They need a church to stand behind them and not just cast them off, not just segregate them. A small group in our church comes to mind when I think of this. There's, a, for the past, I think it's been five years, going on six, that um, a small group in our church have provided snacks for our youth weekly, home-baked goods. Um, Allie, Wendy, Yvonne, Lynn, I forget who else. But for five years, folks, they've been providing home-baked snacks for us, and it doesn't go unnoticed. Kids love it. Eldon would love it. <laughs> He's too old for youth, though. And it just, the food gets demolished, and they know they are loved by this group. And every year, we write a thank you card or, write a, or provide a, a gift basket or something to this home group, but... They hand-deliver them. Every Sunday morning, if you see one of those ladies walking with a plate of goodies, that's their goodies for youth. They bring them to the kitchen, and they get destroyed tonight. I saw the plate this morning. It looks good. I'm getting hungry. But what a way to show their support. A simple thing. They love baking, Right? So they baked blessed students. You know, we're looking for a few more female volunteers this year and, or for, for, the, for the fall. And it's a chance to just kind of love on students. Lastly, this morning, we're celebrating Jesus, the promised Messiah, the coming King, whose love is never-ending, never-giving up, never-resting. And he's chasing after you. It's his promise. Will you trust him and fully rest on his promises? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for this youth Sunday that we can celebrate with you what you've done.